Thanks for downloading MyMac Podcast number 205 this week. Brian Hughes, he's a product manager for Adobe on Photoshop. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com podcast. And it's show number 205 of the weekly MyMac podcast, the second oldest running Mac podcast in the entire world. Isn't that right, Guy Searle? Yeah, I would think so. And if, well, if no, there's somebody older, well, they just don't matter as much. Well, MacCast. MacCast, he started, oh, uh, well, he Adam knows. started his, like, what, a week before we started? Yeah, you know, something yeah, like I that. think so. I think so. Darn right. it. I, I don't have that record, but that's okay. I don't really care. <laughs> you know, this is... Uh, this January, I'm sorry, this December will be what four years even. Yeah, four years. That yeah, we'll be pretty doing much. The show. Pretty much four years even, and uh, that's a, a long time to do this. Yeah, I'm, and by that time, I guess I'll be on what about 130, 140 shows by then. Yeah, you're uh, you're due for a pay raise, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you can, I can't go anywhere but up from here. Uh, of course, David Cohen, our UK correspondent, is on a cruise ship somewhere. Hopefully, it won't be taken over by, uh, I don't know, Somalian hijacker pirates. So, yeah, that uh, David's not here. Go ahead, guy. What were you saying? I was just saying that, yeah, that would suck. Yeah, that would kind of suck. But we are joined by Lee Givens. Hello, Lee Givens. Hey, everybody. How's AOL going these days for you? You sound a little hoarse. Well, it's going great. Um, we have some uh, nice, fun uh, new iPhone apps that we're uh, showing here internally, and hopefully I could talk about them a little more once we get them out. Ooh, cool. new iPhone apps. I can't yes. wait to find out about that. I I'm can't so... wait to have an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, you still, when are you going to get an iPhone, guy? I, honestly, I'm, I'm waiting for one that we're, has 32 gigs. We're, we're just going to have to change your name to Rich. Yeah. Yeah, Rich is uh, finally coming along. He's gonna get. I think did he already buy his uh, iPod Touch? I'm uh, not sure if he did or not. I, I know I he said know. he was going to now. I'm not really. So sure. you're like the last holdout. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm if if I'm going to spend the kind of money to get something like that, it, it, it's it's going to be with me for a while, and I want it to be what I need. We also have a special guest this week. His name is Brian Hughes. He's a project manager for Adobe Photoshop with the Adobe Company. Hello, Brian. Hello, thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. You got a, you've got the magic product, man. I mean, I, I got to say, I've been spending. I don't have Adobe Photoshop CS4 yet. It's actually on its way here. It'd have been great if it had showed up today, but then again, if it would have, I probably wouldn't be doing the show today. I'd be playing with you know, Photoshop. a new version of Photoshop. <laughs> Photoshop's one of those applications that when I get a new version in, um, I, I will sit there and I will play with it for just hours. It's it's almost like a game. It's like, ooh, what does this do now? What does that do now? Oh, this is so cool. But this new version, there. yeah, yeah. It, it, tell us about the new version, man. It it sounds really cool. Did I, I just said virgin. Yes, you I? did. Let's say version. Virgin. Yeah, let's talk about Photoshop instead. <laughs> yeah. So there's a. We've already there's talked a, about guys. So. There. Uh, the first thing I'll tell you when when you get your your version of Photoshop, uh, when you launch it in the upper right hand corner, there's a little workspace switcher, and one of the things that's in there says what's new in CS4. And if you click on that, every single thing that we've touched in the app uh, will be highlighted in blue in all of the menus. So that's a great way where. No, that's cheating. Well, yeah. If you want to just, uh, <laughs> out, I, have, I have to just play around with it and find it. He wants <laughs> to dive right in. 
I, yeah, I want to feel special like I found it and no one else has seen this yet. Well, then don't oh, do other, that. Other than the programs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to say, the the one that really makes me the most excited, and I don't know why, it, it the content-aware scaling. Yeah. I don't know how you guys did that. It's magic. Have you looked at that feature yet, Guy? I don't have CS3. It's not CS3. It's CS4. I don't have that either. <laughs> have you looked at that feature yet, Lee? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was following the, I think it was a PhD student from Israel, I believe, uh, was working on it. Then I, I heard Adobe hired him. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to make it to CS4. And lo and behold. Yeah, no, <laughs> Imagine almost, that. It, it, was a, it was a late edition. Uh, you know, we, we showed this technology at Max last year. And, yeah. uh, you know, really, really cool stuff. The ability to throw out uh, information while retaining important information, whether it's constraining an image or expanding it. Uh, you can think of the, you know, maybe I want to take an 8 by 12 and fit it into an 8 by 10 frame or even a square frame. And then you can just go crazy. And maybe I want to stretch something to a billboard or a mobile device or refactor it without throwing out things that I that I care about. Uh, but I I cannot believe how far we got from Max when we showed a really, really early version of the technology uh, to what you see shipping in CS4, which has the ability to protect certain elements or even remove certain elements. Yeah, that's where Guy, I, think I saw the video at Max, yeah. Guy, yeah, you have got to go up to a, a Adobe TV and, and check it out, Guy. I will. Seriously. Well, but it, not, not right now. It's magic. It, there's no way that this this program really does this. I don't think it's actually in Adobe Photoshop CS4. I think they're just messing with us. It's magic. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say magic because when I when I have to break the release down into you know three buckets, I break it down into performance, ease of use, and magic. <laughs> magic off with uh, content aware scaling because it, it's like you said, it's mind blowing. It's magic. I I keep looking at that and I keep looking at photos in my library thinking. I'm going to try it on that one. I'm going to try it on that one. It's it's really hard to vocalize what this does without seeing it in person or at least a, a video online. So anybody listening to this, go up to adobetv.com and just do a quick search for content-aware scaling, and you'll find a video for it. It's simply amazing technology. And if I wasn't getting a copy of Photoshop CS4 for review, I would definitely go out and buy it just for this feature. I mean, it's so awesome. I can't believe that That's great. It's in there. That's great to well, hear. There's another fantastic site. It's a little older now. Uh, it's called seamcarving.com, S-E-A-M carving.com, and it's about a five-minute YouTube video that just sort of break down, breaks down what's happening behind the scenes uh, as we're carving apart that image or adding to that image. So uh, lots of Oh, I've got that up on my screen right now. I'm not going to watch it because we're talking on Skype and it'll kill the bandwidth in a heartbeat. <laughs> but I definitely want to watch that now. It looks really cool. So what's other, some of the other new features in Adobe Photoshop CS4 that the listeners are going to be really jazzed to get their hands on? Yeah, definitely. So let's let's just do it in each of those buckets I was talking about. So in the performance bucket, people always want to talk about performance and speed. You know, these these new Macs come out, these these all this new hardware. Uh, but what's great is in addition to running you know faster and better than ever on new hardware, uh, for the first time in history in in Bridge and in Photoshop, we're leveraging the power of the GPU. And whether it's uh, you know, uh, a new Mac or even a uh, Mac from a couple years back or, uh, you know, Windows and Mac, actually, uh, but really tying into 
all the power that's living on that on that graphics card. And you know, the video game companies have known about this stuff forever. And I'm really excited that we got there with Photoshop. And it there are all sorts of things that you get by virtue of this. You get you know faster uh, color management, faster HDR, but you also get things like the ability to clone by clipping things directly with a brush. So when you clone something now, you'll actually see a representation of what you're going to clone right over that area. Change oh. your brush size. You'll see it right there on the screen. Another Neat. thing people have used Photoshop for a long time might notice that you know 33% or 66%, things look kind of wonky. Well, when we pipe it through the GPU, things just look smooth and fluid and sharp no matter what resolution you're at, no matter how close you are, text, shapes, things like that. So, so it really makes uh, it easy to scale then too. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything just it, it looks and, and feels snappy. One thing that I I think folks with newer Macs will appreciate: um, we're doing all sorts of really cool stuff around zooming, panning, rotating, and uh, we've we've tied into the APIs on these new trackpads, MacBooks, MacBook Pros, MacBook Air, uh, all the new stuff that that just came out. So that if you're if you're rotating your fingers or if you're pinching or expanding or tossing, you can interact with your image in a hardware-accelerated way tied directly into the trackpad. Uh, before this time, it was all done in software then. That's right, yeah, that's right. So really leaning on the GPU. Um, we can we can roll back to software if we need to, but uh, in-house here, you know, we test on all the latest, greatest, but we also test on the stuff that we have at home. You know, I've got a, got a fancy MacBook. Gave me, but at home I'm, I'm still in the dark ages with a, a dual G5. Um, so you know we we have real world equipment we use in addition to the the good news stuff. Our computers really uh, it seems to me the computers are finally at the speed where a program like Adobe Photoshop could really take advantage of all these advanced new technologies. Yeah, whether it's multi-core processors or you know uh, RAM or hard drive or now the GPU, we're really realizing there's so much out there and really starting to tap into that because God knows Photoshop users love performance gains. Uh, you know, so in a nutshell, that would be performance. When it comes to ease of use, you know, there are a ton of things. They're really looking at the problems that people have had for a while. Uh, something that a, a small group of us just really dug deep on was the whole notion of adjustment layers and masks, which are two things that are really powerful. They're re-editable. They're not destructive. They give you uh, the, the utmost control. But in the past, they've presumed that you know a lot about them to begin with. And we realize that we've got more and more people coming into Photoshop than ever. Uh, and for people who've been using Photoshop, there were a couple problems with, say, adjustment layers. You had to, you had to find them in the menu, and then in the submenu, you had a dialogue. The rest of the app sort of went dead while you were in the dialogue. So we've got them working completely non-modal in the panel now, hmm. and we also have all sorts of on-image controls. So like, say, curves or hue saturation, I could just totally dismiss the interface and work directly on the image. Uh, as it happens, that new way of doing things uses 89% less mouse travel than the old way. Oh, so wow. it turns out there's a performance benefit there, too. I've noticed that you guys use non-destructive editing in a lot of the PR for the new version of Photoshop. Uh, can you explain what non-destructive editing means? Because it sounds, it doesn't sound intuitive to me. And if you're editing it, you're, you're causing, you know, problems with the image or you're destroying what was there before. So what's non-destructive? Yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, the, the term started getting thrown around a lot when the whole raw workflow came to be, uh, you know, a few years back. And, you know, we were, we were really, uh, Early adopters of that, we had uh, Thomas Snow, the same guy who who uh, 
wrote Photoshop in the first place, you know, 18 years ago, he cooked up a, a camera raw converter that could read a, a bunch of different proprietary formats, and now that same one can read over 200. And the idea of non-destructive in raw, and that's where you often hear it, is that anything that you do uh, in the raw conversion is just metadata. It's just instructions that tell the image what it looks like. So if you make it black and white, or if you crop it, or anything that you do to it, it's just just a set of instructions that tell the image what it looks like. Now, that's a different experience than what you have in Photoshop, where let's say I had an image open and I changed, the, uh, I changed it to grayscale. Well, now it's black and white, and I can't go back to color unless I saved a particular state. I'm stuck in black and white. It would but, even give you that warning dialogue when you went to black and white in, in Photoshop. Are you sure you want to discard all the color information? Yeah, right. This is important. You don't. You, you want to be careful when you do that. So a lot of save as is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might want to save that out by advocating yeah. a, a layer based workflow. Layers allow you at any point to get back to where you were because layers are just sort of like sheets uh, sheets of a particular control between your image and your eyes. So if one of the, if you have a black and white adjustment layer, you can turn that off. You can blend it. More importantly, when you save that layered file, you have each different step that you've applied to it. Uh, so hence the whole non-destructive thing, the idea of getting back to where you were. Uh, if you're, there, there are times when you want to be destructive. If you're painting, if you're moving pixels around, if you're cloning or healing something, uh, unless you're cloning or healing in RAW, which you can do, uh, and unless you're doing that to a duplicate layer, you're expressly uh, using a, a destructive workflow. So different things are better for for different uh, people and different workflows, but when it comes to adjusting how an image looks uh, or making selections, it's really nice to be able to make those things re-editable. Absolutely. Sounds really, really cool. Well, what else? What else do we got so, in there? I'm uh, looking at the, the new touched. mask panel. Yeah, so masks are one of those things. You know, if I if I say layers to someone who's been using Photoshop for a while, then I explain all the different ways that we've improved that. Although there are certainly a lot of people who say, yeah, you know, I've heard of layers, but I uh, don't know how to use them. But when it comes to masks, even more so, I, th I think people, uh, you, sometimes you visually see them reel back when you mention masks because it's just, it sounds scary. Uh, essentially, what a mask is, is it's the ability to make selections, and, and rather than doing it just with this sort of binary off and on, you know, with like marching ants, this is an area that's selected, this is an area that isn't, by using paint and uh, hundreds of different levels from white to black and all the gray in between, you can have a lot more fidelity, you can have a lot more control, you can have a lot more detail, and what's great is when it's a mask, then you can come back to it at any point. You can adjust the parameters of it. So it's a, sort of like a living, breathing selection. And, of course, selections and compositing are a huge part of the Photoshop story. What's the big thing about Photoshop that has you the most excited this time around? Well, I was very closely involved with uh, the adjustment panel and mask panel stuff, and I think that's probably the thing that's going to... Uh, to really complement the workflow of a bunch of users. I will say it's it's the magic parts that are probably the most exciting to show. You know, we talked about content-aware scaling, but we also have things like the ability to extend depth of field. So, for instance, take multiple images that are focused in different areas and combine them all into one where they're all in focused. Uh, we have so much that we just did in 3D. You know, historically, uh, CS3 extended. We added 3D for the first time. Now in CS4 extended, you can uh, not only can you send out most of the 3D uh, formats that you were able to pull in before, but they're non-modal. That means you don't have to invoke a particular state to work with them. But all of the things you're used to doing in Photoshop, like painting and selecting, 
sculpting and healing and cloning, that can all be done to 3D objects. So I can take a 3D object and just immediately start painting on it or cloning it. Uh, that stuff is just uh, just incredibly. It, it's magic. I noticed that in CS3, one of the, the big selling points was that Adobe was kind of unifying the UI between all the different suites. Uh, it looked like you guys took that to a new level in CS4. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good thing to point out. Uh, so 14 applications truly coming out of the gates at the same time. Last time around, we announced them all, all together, but the video apps trailed some. They're all coming out at the same time. It means a lot of people using applications they may not have used uh, before. So right, you know, just starting immediately in Bridge, not only do you get a little widget that allows you to search uh, metadata, but it can search spotlight criteria as well. Uh, as soon as you come into Photoshop, things, uh, they look familiar, but they're also, we really clean them up, we've streamlined them, and they're consistent amongst the other applications in the suite. The thing I should really point out, uh, I'm really, really proud of, is in looking at our user research data, we realized, uh, Roughly half, if not more, of, of professional photographers, graphic designers, uh, and just you know a lot of uh, high-end hobbyists too, like to use more than one monitor. So we really targeted those folks when we redesigned our interface, and we made sure that uh, continues to be walk-up simple for people who are familiar with it. But if you're using more than one monitor, we're a lot more elegant. Uh, whether it's three, four, even more monitors than that. You know, I'm I'm used to working with these folks that have these big 30-inch cinema displays all uh, stacked right next to each other, and we make Make sure we play nice with those. And that was always one of my uh, biggest gripes with all the Adobe products, that they really weren't dual monitor aware because, I, for, in my instance, I use a 24-inch monitor as my main screen and a 23-inch side cart. And I, I can put stuff over there, but it really wasn't elegant. So that's, that's going to be uh, something I'm looking forward to, I think. A lot of yeah, a lot of work done around there. That's that's definitely good news. You know, all sorts of little things too. Uh, fine art photographers who uh, are used to to printing, or maybe they're bringing in composites, or maybe they're stitching and do panoramas. Uh, obviously, the the resolution of of photos is always growing. We can print larger than ever in CS4 now. And if you're on Leopard and you have a, a newer printer, you can print in 16-bit now as well. It's a big deal. It's a big step forward. I know uh, all of our friends at the different print companies are very excited about that. Apple was certainly excited about that as well. Uh, how, how closely do you work with uh, companies that provide RIPs for large format printers? Does, does Adobe work closely with those companies? Yeah, we've, we've really got a, a huge network of developers and partners. You know, Photoshop, after 18 years, has quite the ecosystem surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, one of one of my jobs is is working closely with them. So whether it's major companies, uh, you know, like the the OS manufacturers or the print companies, or uh, the folks who make really uh, you know more more minor but very common things like plugins and scripts and actions and rips and all of that, we we work real closely with them. It seems like the more and more sophisticated Adobe Photoshop gets, the less and less need I have of you know third party plugins. Um, but still, you guys still support that open architecture. How important is the third-party plugins to Adobe's Photoshop success? I, yeah, I'd say more important than ever. And there's stuff that, that's sort of unsung. For instance, if you pull an image off of the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, you're using Photoshop to look at that. It, there's a, there's a uh, great plugin called the Fits Liberator that allows you to look at stuff like that. Photoshop's really a platform. So there's, when we think of, of plugins, you know, we often think of filters and special effects and things that have come to, to populate a lot of features in Photoshop over the years. Uh, but there are also a lot of plugins that extend Photoshop's ability, whether it's sending images to proprietary printers, you know, some of which are the size of a freight train, making these photo books and whatnot. <laughs> 
or reading things that come off of uh, space telescopes or satellites. Um, plugins mean all sorts of different things. Uh, there are, of course, still special effects plugins. There's 3D plugins. There's, you know, Nick just came out with an awesome black and white plugin. Uh, there's all sorts of really cool stuff out there, but uh, extensibility and making certain that people can take all that we offer in Photoshop and do that much more beyond that are really important to us. Uh, you know, uh, Photoshop has a really powerful script engine, too, and I think people have just scratched the surface with what's possible there. You know, Photoshop is one of those uh, names at this point that it's, it's almost like a Kleenex. You know, if, if you have a runny nose, well, hand me a Kleenex. Well, if you see a, a photo that's been retouched at all, everyone says it's been Photoshopped. Uh, does Adobe actively go after companies that kind of use that as a generic term now? We're, we're certainly encouraged internally to uh, to use the the word as it was intended, which is to refer to the product. Uh, you know, for the very reason, um, it's the we we use the word in products more often, and I think that's where some of the confusion could lie too, because there are things uh, like Photoshop CS4 and CS4 Extended, which are the gold standard for us of digital imaging. Then mm-hmm. there are things like Photoshop Lightroom, Photoshop Elements, Photoshop Express. Um, so those can, uh, while they're very interesting and exciting applications that work uh, for all different sorts of users, they can definitely uh, muddy the waters a bit with what Photoshop means. And there's the whole yeah. use of Photoshop as a verb, which on, on the one hand, uh, you know, you watch John Stewart or uh, you know The Daily Show or something, and it can it can be really neat to hear your name on TV. Uh, <laughs> you don't want it to be uh, constantly misinterpreted or or people to think that you know we've got a special deal for the Iranian military or anything. <laughs> you know, Adobe, Adobe Photoshop used to have quite a few competitors out there, and there still are, but they're much smaller. Uh, small-time developers are making, you know, pretty decent image editing software that take advantage of the, the core macOS Leopard technologies nowadays. But at this point, Adobe Photoshop is the king. I mean, the, you really don't have a competitor per se. Um, does that let you kind of relax a little bit, or does that kind of fire you up to make the product even better year after year? You know, I, I think, uh, and I, I'm speaking more personally here, I think competition's really, really great. I think that you know, competition, whether it's, you know, uh, in, in computers or software or cars or anything else, I think it tends to make all of the offerings that much more interesting. Um, you know, the great thing about working on the Photoshop team is I get to work with people who've been doing this for, you know, literally right up to, in the case of someone like Thomas Knoll, who wrote it, 18 years, more than that, uh, originally developing it. So we have people here that been doing these things for a really, really long time. So there are a lot of neat, uh, interesting new ideas that come from here. But, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us are really inspired by some of the stuff that, that we see out in the world. It's neat to see everyone getting so excited about the things we've been excited about for so long. So in a way, I, I find it very flattering. Is there any code in uh, the current version of Photoshop that's kind of been a, a carryover year after year that maybe even goes back to the first version? Oh, yeah. Version? I gotta, I gotta wait, watch how I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that keeps coming from. Version. <laughs> Just recently, for this last version, um, we we completely revisited how uh, dodge, burn, and sponge, which is hue and saturation, work. Mm-hmm. And you know, those are features that I used way back when. 
you know, around Photoshop 3, which was the first time I, I started playing around with it, and I, I really wasn't thrilled with the results. I, I think I expected a bit too much of them. We realized after all this time, you know, those are, those are words that, that people recognize. Those are pe- words that people from a photographic background recognize. And so we went in and we revisited the underlying algorithms to make them do the sort of things that uh, we know they're capable of doing now. We did that same thing with brightness contrast before. It used to be that brightness contrast, those were bad words in the, in the Photoshop world. We yeah. use those, but uh, for CS3, we completely revisited those. And, and one of the things that I was I was saying and still say as we do that is those were a couple of the terms that my mother recognized in Photoshop. Probably the only terms that she hmm. recognizes. So we want to make sure that those approachable, intuitive terms do the things that they can. So there's definitely stuff that's been hanging on for a long time. Now this is probably something that you can't answer, but I am curious on, on your opinion at any rate. Uh, of course, you work at Adobe, but still, when you look at the popularity and, and the growing popularity of the iPhone, and it takes pictures, it has a photo library in it, is Adobe, do you think, at all interested in coming up with some kind of an application on the iPhone that can manipulate photos, or do you think that's not really, because the iPhone's just not big enough, not an intuitive enough uh, UI, or do you think that's something they'd be interested in? I, I think about the iPhone a lot. I think about the App Store a lot. You know, I, I've got an iPhone and I absolutely love it. I think it's I think it's super cool. Uh, I don't have a. I'll tell you my my bizarre workflow with my iPhone when it comes to photography. I don't have a, a GPS capture device. Uh, on my camera, on my SLR. So oftentimes, if I'm somewhere shooting and I want to repurpose that GPS metadata later to share it with my images and show where I was and catalog that, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of keywording and putting in that info, uh, I'll take a picture with my iPhone towards my <laughs> GPS coordinates, and then I can plug those in later with my images from my SLR. So I've I've got sort of a wacky thing going there with it. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm one of these guys who buys all sorts of apps and gets all sorts of free apps, and I think about, you know, what does that mean for us? There are obviously a lot of people that do all sorts of wacky image editing things on the iPhone, things like, you know, sticking mustaches and, and eyeglasses on people. Yeah, and there's a, an application that's kind of reminiscent of uh, Kai's Power Goo, if you remember way back in the day when that application, you could warp faces and stuff like that. But there's no yeah. real good image editing, and I, I don't even know if that's needed on the iPhone or not. It just I, seems to me that, you know, if Adobe came out with uh, a light, light, light version of, yeah. of Adobe Photoshop that, you know, could maybe, I, I don't know, adjust the contrast. or iPhotoshop. iPhotoshop, yeah, there I, you go. I think a lot of folks have, I'm not necessarily answering the question, but I'm definitely talking more about it. A lot of folks have, have asked, you know, could you do something like that or could you have some semblance of Photoshop or some Photoshop technology on the camera? So that, you know, I could be taking pictures in a, in a certain way that I do things, uh, on the camera. The only thing that I can say really, obviously I can't talk about, uh, technology we haven't released, but I can say oh, that sure. if you look over the years, uh, 18 years of Photoshop, several years ago we came out with Elements. That's on its seventh version now. That's, that's obviously very popular. More recently, uh, Lightroom, which is certainly, uh, in a way that's subtractive so- software that's specifically focused at the, uh, you know, professional photographer. And more recently, Photoshop Express, which you could definitely look at as our latest version of an application to ever wear the Photoshop name. So uh, if history is any indication, we're certainly heading in that direction. So 
I would say anything could happen there. Uh, personally, when I look at the little app store, uh, when I look at things that are going on there, the thing that I want for myself is uh, with, with, you know, I've got 14 apps out there. I've got all sorts of education and seminars and things happening. I would love to do a little sort of Yahoo Movies kind of thing on seminars about Photoshop. I just ended oh, up in Vegas. Cool. Is there a user group going on? Is there a Photoshop world mm-hmm. going on? I'd love that. I think that would be super cool. So I, it's definitely on my mind. I, I would think, you know, you were talking about when you first started playing with Adobe Photoshop, it was ver- version 3. Uh, if you look at the software, or I'm sorry, look at the hardware that that ran Photoshop on. ran on, right. the iPhone is more powerful than those machines were then. Yeah, I think so, about that all the time. I've got a c- yeah. little computer in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. and the screen is better. The I mean, it, it's it's all around. It, it is a little computer. It's not even really a cell phone when you get right down to it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It really, I, I, I play around with it and tinker with it constantly. Now, Brian, there's a... Uh, if you've got someone who who doesn't own Photoshop and he's trying to decide between Photoshop and some other product, what would be one of two of the points that you would that you would tell him to try to convince him to get Photoshop over over another competing product? Well, I, I'm somewhat liberated in that I'm not a sales guy. You know, of course, I am a, a shareholder, so it's nice for me to see people buy uh, Adobe products. Luckily, we have a lot of different products for a lot of different needs. But, uh, for example, with someone like my, my stepdad, owns a digital camera, not interested in a digital SLR, wants to do some compositing, wants to do some playing around with images. For someone like him, uh, Photoshop, just it wasn't the right wasn't the right thing for him. He doesn't want a steeper learning curve. It isn't important to him that he feels like he's able to do anything and everything under the sun. So for him, something like Elements was perfect, and it has been perfect for several different versions. For my friends who shoot fashion photography and are constantly retouching images and really wanting to push the envelope uh, and and really sort of walk the line between reality and some other you know ethereal world, by all means, I'm going to show them some of the things that they can do in Photoshop that they can't do anywhere else. Uh, magic, you know, things that, that are faster and more powerful. So it, it really depends on who I'm talking to. You know, if I'm talking to professional photographers, I've got a whole other set of things that I talk about. There are a lot of little things I try to get people on board with. I love to try to get people who are shooting with SLRs to shoot raw. Uh, more specifically, I love to get them to convert to DNG. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty hung up on, on workflow practices and how to get the most out of uh, out of Photoshop based on workflow. And that's part of what's going on with the mass panel and the adjustment panel. That actually that came about from visiting a lot of professionals and this recurring theme of, I'd say, you know, uh, can you show us how you, you do a black and white conversion? And the first thing out of their mouth would be, I- I'm sure I'm doing this wrong. I'm, I'm sure there's a better way to do this. And then they'd show me a particular way. So the whole idea uh, in the user experience improvements in CS4 was to say, well, here's the better way of doing it. So that's a long-winded way of saying that I have different answers for different people, but when they do want to use Photoshop, there's a tremendous amount of things that I can show them there. One of my uh, background that I point to sometimes is that I was an IT manager at a design firm, a fairly large one, one of the largest ones in the United States at the time, and we would constantly have problems with uh, outside agencies sending us, for instance, freehand files, and we were on Adobe Illustrator and that sort of thing. With the non-destructive editing and, and relying on metadata and CS4, 
How is that going to work if someone sends a Photoshop file from CS4 to, say, a CS3 user? Are they still going to be able to open that image, manipulate it at all, or is there going to be just it's going to ignore that metadata? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the the metadata editing is specific to the raw workflow, and uh, I'll talk about that part first. So we're really good about uh, continuing to rev the raw plugin, which is great. It's the plugin for all of our versions of Photoshop starting in 7. And what it means is that we can, uh, you know, we can continue to update for camera support and new capabilities as time goes by. Now, usually the way it works is uh, we're working on CS3, CS4 comes out. Any updates for camera raw work on CS4, but not on CS3. Uh, I will tell you that our most recent update that we we uh, came out with just after we announced CS4, we made sure that it worked with CS3 as well for that very reason. There were uh, something like 15 new cameras, and we said, you know what? Uh, let's definitely put it in CS4, but let's give it to people in CS3 as well. There's a really cool workaround that I think that your listeners will appreciate. A lot of people don't know about this, but if you use the drag-and-drop uh, DNG converter, this is a free downloadable uh, converter that takes your proprietary RAW formats and it turns them into our own uh, archival standard, and it also has the benefit of making them a little bit smaller without throwing away any data. One of the great things about that is that means that uh, in that we continue to update the the camera support in the free DNG download, you can convert your new camera into a DNG and open it in an older version. Now, of course, mm. I'd love for someone to buy the newer version and enjoy all the benefits of that, but there's a really nice workaround there. So that's that's the solution for uh, metadata-based uh, working there, like working in RAW and things like that. So everyone's covered there. Now... When it comes to Photoshop, when we're talking about layers, which there's a distinction there between layers and metadata, uh, we're really good about that, too, because we're using, while we're presenting the technology in a new way, and we're giving you new and faster and more powerful ways of using it, we even have... uh, you know, new new methods for, for applying them and faster methods and all sorts of different things there. Uh, what's great is uh, the underlying technology is the same. It's the same layers in the file format. So if I take CS4 and I do all this stuff with adjustment layers and masks and I build this really complex image and I send it to you in CS3 or CS2 or CS or 7, you're still going to be able to open it and play around with it. Now, we do a thing. Uh, we started this a couple versions ago where when you save... We say, do you want to maximize compatibility with one particular application? Do you want to do it with version 6 forward, version 7 forward? Um, Obviously, new features trickle in. We're just looking to make sure that the person you're passing the file to can see as much as possible. Sounds, it reminds me of Adobe Acrobat Professional. It, It has that feature and it's had it for a long time. Yeah, just really trying to be sensitive to our users and understanding that they don't all jump on board with the brand new version the day it comes out. I, I've I've been dealing with people for a long time, listeners of the show for four years, but going all the way back to 1995 with the MyMac magazine itself, the MyMac website. Um, when a new version of Photoshop comes out or Adobe Creative Suite nowadays, um, and that's I, you know I know it's CS4 already, but I'm st- it's to me it's still we, I'm used to buying these as as you know applications rather than an entire bundle. But anyways. Um, I, I get a lot of email, especially with like when I did my CS3 review of Illustrator, from a lot of CS1 and 2 users wanting to know how's compatibility. You know, I, I'd really like to go with it, but I, not everybody in my studio has the new version. They're not going to have the new version in, for a while, or the, the 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 print house that we send it to, they're still stuck back on um, number ten. I mean, 
so that's going to be. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys are thinking about backwards compatibility because this is some expensive software for a reason. But nonetheless, it's expensive, and not all the users are super professional and can afford it. So it's nice to know that you guys are kind of looking out for them as well. We- we absolutely think about it. In fact, sometimes when we change a behavior, like this time around when we change dodge and burn, last time around when we t- when we change brightness contrast, not only did we change them and make them better, but we left legacy checkboxes so that if you have an action that you've run all these years and you really love the particular effect of it, you can still apply that action and get the same results that you used to. I would say we are so... Uh, consumed with making certain that our users are okay and that and that backwards compatibility and, and legacy ways of doing things are preserved, uh, that we, there are times when we take it too far. We rarely take pieces of the application out. I've lobbied for a while to, you know, couldn't we just pull this out since we have a better way of doing things? Uh, but we really try to be sensitive to our users. And certainly a lot of folks on the team spend a ton of time out on the forums, a lot of time with user groups, just understanding exactly what, you know, what people's feedback is. Uh, my last big question, and, and then I'll kick it to Lee and Guy to see if they have any follow-ups before we let you go, Brian, is uh, <clears throat> Adobe Photoshop's always been really good about this, but there has been changes in the past. And my big question with CS4 is how many of my keyboard shortcuts have changed? Because my left hand literally knows how to do things all by itself without me even thinking about it. And when you guys change a keyboard shortcut... Uh, a keyboard shortcut, it really messes me up for weeks. So how many new sh- keyboard shortcuts do I have to learn and how many have changed from what it was before and now it does something different? Yep, so I, I, I am completely with you there. Um, John Knack just wrote a fantastic blog post about that very thing. I definitely, if, you, if uh, your listeners don't know about that, but I imagine they do, uh, his, his name is John Knack, N-A-C-K. He's done all sorts of fantastic things on his blog uh, from sweating the details and all sorts of polish and every single feature enumerated in CS4 and videos and content-aware scaling and all of that. One of the things he did just, I think it was just today he posted. <laughs> I just pulled his website up, and there it is, shortcut changes in... PSCS4. <laughs> yep. And I swear I didn't look at that before I asked the question. <laughs> no, no, no. You're gonna you're gonna love it because it, it gets real in depth and everyone can check it out and find out exactly what it means. One of the things John says in there, you know, he's got a great way of writing. He talks about how it's essentially like taking the the keys on a piano and moving them. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, really disruptive, really frustrating. Um, you know, we we go we fight back and forth with the operating system. With other applications, we add new features. Photoshop has over 600 different menu items at this point, Mm. Um, you know, close to 60-something tools. Uh, There are all sorts of different ways to do things, and they can all – you can custom assign keyboard shortcuts. You've been able to do that for a couple of versions now, so you can assign your own. They're all of our own uh, that we have. There were a couple that needed to be changed. Uh, they were they it had to be done, and they're really well documented on John's page. Uh, the thing that I'll tell you about that, and you know, again, after I've I've been on the the team for almost ten years, but I've been using uh, Photoshop for a lot longer than that. Uh, no one is more bothered by moving the keys on the musical instrument on the piano more than I am. Uh, but you do get used to it. It's muscle memory. When something changes, when something moves, we do adapt. Uh, um, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's uh, computer hardware, we're moving a particular uh, port or a keyboard, you know, standing up or being set down in or a trackpad behavior, uh, we get used to it. We do the very, very best we can. And when we can't do everything that we want to, we make sure we document it. And John's done a brilliant job of doing that. He's got a lot of other really great stuff on his blog as well. 
Uh, Guy, you got anything? Yeah, a uh, quick question. Other than the, you know, the obvious, uh, what I think is kind of overblown differences between the, the 32-bit and the 64-bit versions, uh, are, are there any major differences between the Windows version and the Macintosh version that would make somebody want to select one platform over the other? Yeah, I mean, the main things, and I think I've already focused on them, we're, we're to the point where they pretty much look and feel uh, just the same. Um, but you do, of course, uh, on the hardware side, on the Mac, you've got the, the multi-touch inputs on the trackpad that allow you to control all the hardware-accelerated features, so that's pretty slick on the Mac. Uh, you also have the ability to do 16-bit printing on the Mac if you're... Uh, you know, if you have the, a particular printer and you're using Leopard. So right. it's actually a couple things in favor on the Mac side there. You you uh, mentioned 64-bit. Uh, John has a great blog post about that. I think everyone in the Mac community understands that migrating to 64-bit uh, for it's us... Gonna for Apple, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. The only thing I'll clear up there, we're, of course, really excited to get there. We're hard at work doing it. Uh, we're already doing it. Uh, in the case of, of Lightroom, that's the, the biggest 64-bit Mac app I know of right now, and it's because it's so young. Um, but the only thing to keep in mind is all those plugins that we talked about, all the you know the, the printer, the size of the freight train, and all of the different things that read all the different file formats and do all this stuff, those would all break if we had a 64-bit, if I yeah. snap my fingers and somehow had a 64-bit Mac app tomorrow. None of that. Every plugin has to be 64-bit as well. Yep. That's right. So it's going to take it's going to take Adobe a while. It's going to take our developers a while. And uh, you know, as we're seeing it, it takes everyone, including Apple, a while. So we're really excited. This, to get this happened. This happened as well on on the Windows side. All all of the plugins also broke on the Windows side. So I mean, why is why why is this such a uh, a, a major sticking point for basically for people that that just love to bash the Mac the Mac? Oh gosh, why is it a big sticking point? I don't uh, I don't know. On on the Windows side, switching to 64-bit was comparatively extremely easy. It did not require a rewrite. And when we send that out, we treat it sort of like we treated. Uh, Intel and PPC last time around, which of course we still support both of those, where you can run in either mode. Um, on the Mac side, you know that's that's not the case. It's it's 32-bit uh, right now and, and will be until we can change that. Um, but as for why people get up in arms about it, uh, that's actually it's quieted down quite a bit. I think John's blog post helped a ton. I think people just needed to understand the issues and what they meant, and and that Apple had made some changes in their development path. Um, but we, we totally respect those. We work really closely with them. Lee, do you have anything? Yeah, you know, you know, especially on the 64-bit thing. I've been following that for a while because, you know, we, we went through the, the tough transition, moving everything from carbon to cocoa, and, um, yeah. you know, that took forever. Um, even, you know, on our apps, it, um, when it comes to complexity, uh, or, you know, nowhere near complex as, you know, the 14 apps that are in the CS suite. But if you start looking at, you know, Apple's doing some good things, I think. I think moving towards Snow Leopard, OpenCL and all these new things that are coming out. Um, I think Apple's doing a lot of good things. And, and you know, for one, I'm, I was kind of happy Apple got rid of uh, 64-bit carbon. Um, I, I think it. I think eventually every, the whole platform will migrate. I was, ta- I was talking to a guy at the office today, and he was, uh, you know, we, he was talking about why isn't, you know, AOL Radio going to work on Tiger? And I'm like, well, you know, there's, you know, new things that we're trying to take advantage of. There's, you know, the core animation and things that you only find in Leopard, and we want to move forward instead of backwards. So um, it's one of those tough decisions when it, when it comes to looking at a platform, and I think Apple's positioning the Mac OS X platform 
to do some really amazing things in the future, Grand Central Dispatch, and I'm just really happy and enthusiastic about all the things that are coming out. So uh, I think yeah, it's going to be I, a I agree great with thing. You completely, Lee. I, I think that long term, it really is going to be exciting, and it's really going to be great. And ultimately, that's going to help take Photoshop, you know, past its 20th birthday and well, well beyond. It's going to be a ton of work getting there. It's it's a little exhausting thinking about it, but I'm with you. Once we get there, it's going to be great. And in the meantime, I think the GPU stuff is giving a t- us a ton of that performance and sort of allowing us to drink from the fountain of youth uh, in the meantime. Exactly. I, I still remember one uh, great story that, you know, when I was uh, I was a, when I was an Apple SC, we used to have these things called Geek Week uh, over on the Apple campus. And, um, you know, different people would come speak to all the systems engineers. And I remember Thomas Knoll came up and he goes, yeah. Yeah, I I, I I invented Photoshop. <laughs> like, boy, that guy's kind of modest. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're the Photoshop guy. Oh, is that so, all you did? Yeah, it was. A, it was. A, it was well, what of, have you done for me lately? It was, it, was of, it was one of those best introductions that we uh, experienced back then. I thought, wow, that guy's pretty modest. That's interesting. So, last question before we uh, kick you out of here, Brian, so we can get to the news. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I do have one last question. What was your very first computer? My very first computer would be a, uh, a 7200. Uh, really? That was the first computer you ever had? I, I was strictly uh, begging, borrowing, and stealing up to that point. That was the first one I ever paid for. That was a good computer, too. It was. It was. It was, uh, was it's that a uh, 604? Is that a 604? Yeah, no, that was a six. I think that was a six hundred three, wasn't it? The seventy five hundred started the. Well, it depends the, on uh, whether it was a Quadra, uh, Performa, or a Centrus. No, yeah, seventy two hundred Power Mac. All, all yeah. four digits were Power Macs. Yeah. Okay. It was. Yeah, it was the coolest thing you could lay your hands on at the time. Uh, that didn't last very long, but. Uh, <laughs> no. No. It was. Before that, it was all about uh, just just using whatever I could use. You know, getting into Photoshop and getting specifically into digital imaging and having a background in photography, that was still a time where, uh, you know, it was very, really, really Mac-centric if you had anything to do with with Photoshop. And, you know, it's a little more divided now than it used to be just because it's all grown up so much. But uh, I don't think I had any choice but to to get onto the Mac starting off that way. CS4 started shipping yesterday, correct? Sure did, yeah. It's really exciting. So, if you guys are interested in the new Adobe Creative Suite version four, I, I said it right that time, by the way. <laughs> go up to Adobe dot com, and but there's just a ton of information up there. Make sure you check out Adobe TV. That will give you a lot more information than uh, you're going to pick up from you know a half hour, forty five minutes of us ch- chatting with Brian. And of course, it's not just Adobe Photoshop. There's fourteen other applications that's worth looking at. And uh, all the URLs that uh, Brian talked about here on the show, I'm going to have up on show notes number 205 up at MyMac.com. Brian, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for your time. I appreciate it. And once again, we want to thank Brian from Adobe to come on the show and uh, spend some time with our goofy butts. Well, yeah. at least Guy and I. We Lee's more serious than we are, Guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So Apple comes out with uh, some really cool new products this week. By the time everyone's listening to this podcast, everybody already knows what the products are, yeah. But let's quickly go over them. Brand new MacBook. How excited are you about the new MacBook, Guy Cyril, on a scale from 1 to 10? Uh, Pretty much just about a 5. Really? Uh, There was a a couple. Yeah, there was a couple of, 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 I mean, overall, 
it, number one, the the way it looks is definitely a ten. I think it's vast improvement over the previous model in looks. Uh, what what really marked it down for me was the the lack of of any firewire support in it, and you know it, it just kind of makes me wonder: is Apple kind of getting away from firewire? What about you, Lee? What do you give the uh, the MacBook one through ten? Well, I'd give it a little more, um, just because they have the aluminum models, and they did keep the plastic model. Um, I'd say six or seven. But uh, a lot of people are saying, why didn't Apple keep the plastic model? Uh, One of the big businesses they're in is selling computers to schools. Yep, that's exactly what I was arguing with someone about last night. I mean, when you're in the schools, let me tell you, I'd rather have a Lexan machine in front of a fourth grader (laughs) instead of an aluminum one. Yeah. And the, and the so, cost uh, itself, they're, they're able to keep that right. price low because they really didn't have to change anything in tooling, and, you know, it's an existing product. Yeah, right. It's the first Mac. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lee. Yeah, I think the school cost was pretty – I think Apple drops about 150 bucks for schools to pick up the machine. Yep. So. so you're talking 850 bucks for a, a laptop, which is still not really competitive with the cheap laptops that you're going to get with a PC, but more and more school districts nowadays are moving to Mac, and this is going to be a very viable option for them. Yeah, I would agree. I think, uh, and, and let's also remember that, that as far as I can remember, this is the first Mac laptop that breaks the the, the one thousand dollar mark. Hmm. First, I'd, well, some people argue about the E-Mate, but yeah, well, I don't. That really, that was more of a, a PDA than anything else. Uh, yeah. It was just what that was just a warmed over Newton, wasn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It was a Newton with bigger screen. Yeah. So I, let's not count that one. So I think you're <laughs> right, guy. They, they broke it by $1. Um, well, okay. Yeah. But it, 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 I mean, it's symbolic. <clears throat> but this is, I mean, this is still a capable machine. If you really look at it, it's, it's not that much different from the one that it's replacing. But if you're looking for a new Mac that, that's nicely laid out and has Firewire, then the uh, the 999 model is the way you want to go. Yeah, which is kind of amazing. It kept FireWire, and right. the new ones don't have FireWire. But w- when we talk about FireWire, you know, it, uh, it's unfortunate because I think FireWire is is a, a better way to go than USB. But more and more, you know, people are are, are moving away, and companies are moving away from FireWire. Some of the latest uh, video cameras are switching over to USB. Yeah. I mean, iMovie didn't even support USB, I think, until version four or five. Yep. And and now it's you know it doesn't matter if 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 it's a video format that iMovie recognizes, you plug it in, doesn't care. It just sucks it all right up. Uh, MacBook Pros, Lee, one to ten. Uh, I think it's a ten. It's one of those lustworthy uh, machines. You 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 bring it out. Someone you know, just show it to anybody. They'll look at the black matte screen, the glass. I I I, I think the I think having uh, no mouse button really does fix a lot of uh, issues. I was just sitting with a guy the other day who never used a Mac, and you know he was uh, logging me on a website, and he couldn't figure out. You know, he looked because it blended in. He didn't see the mouse button. Ah. So I think it actually will help some people. Um, but overall, I think the unibody construction, uh, the you know having do, uh, two you know separate GPUs. Uh, I think Apple's really trying to build the machine of the future. Guy, one to ten. Oh, I give this a nine. I, I think that the look of these two machines, which is really reminiscent of, of the way that the uh, the iMacs look yep. now, 
is 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 a definite move in a positive direction from from the way that they used to look. Uh, it, it does have FireWire 800. It doesn't have FireWire 400, but it's not that hard to find an 800 to 400 connector for any peripherals that you need for along those lines. I also like um, I like I, I like the way it's constructed. I like the fact that you can now actually, if you want to, change out the hard drive in it without performing major surgery. You know, I mean, there's just a lot about the, the new MacBook Pro that that any any anyone who's interested in Macs at all are, is going to like. Lee, why did Apple spend so much time showing us how they manufacture this one piece of aluminum? Why is that important for the end user to know? Or were they even really giving us that message? They were talking to someone else. What's your opinion? Well, Apple is actually, if you go back to the history of uh, Apple, all the way back to the Macintosh back in 83, um, Steve Jobs has always prided himself on how it's not only the, the machine itself, but they Apple look at, looks at everything they build, the actual fit, the finish, how it's manufactured, are actually features that Apple looks at. Um, having a unibody uh, construction is almost as important as having, say, like a super drive or something. So if you if people remember back in the uh, around 90, 1983 when they opened up the Fremont uh, Macintosh factory, yep. I remember Apple spending lots of time uh, documenting how the Macs were built. Um, it was it was a state of the art facility. Um, Steve Jobs, lots of pictures. I mean, just go on the internet, you'll find lots of pictures, uh, uh, photos of that whole whole you know opening of that factory. So Apple spends a lot of time when it comes to form and function, but I think with this MacBook, I, I, one of the key selling points for this portable machine is to show people how strong it is and how, you know, how Apple's really pushing the envelope when it comes to the product design. Do you agree with that guy? Yeah, yeah, I would. I think that um, the whole unibody, it makes it stronger. It makes it a little bit lighter. Uh, it's more durable. Uh, the... I think the keyboard is probably going to hold up a lot better, especially being black keys. It's going to hold a hold up a lot better than uh, previous gens, uh, either MacBooks or MacBook Pros that, that didn't have this type of keyboard. It's it, it's just I think it's just a win all around, especially with the MacBook Pro. The other big announcement, and it's not getting as much play on the Mac Web. Some sites are paying attention to it, but less so than the the, the laptops. And that's a brand new cinema display. Right. More ports, built-in eyesight, uh, unfortunately a brand new connector, which does connect to the new laptops, but it doesn't connect to your G, or your, I was almost going to say G5, it doesn't connect to your Mac Pro. Um, I don't know, what do you guys think about the new, uh, let's start with Guy this time, what do you think of the new monitor? Uh, well, as far as the connection, the connectors go, you know, there'll be there'll be something that'll that'll bridge the gap between them, whether it's made by Apple or somebody else. Uh, but if the screen is anything like what, I'm sure it's probably even better than what they're putting in the 24 inch IMAX. Uh, it, it's going to be a gorgeous screen, and uh, you know, so many people are complaining. Not only with the, with the new cinema display, but with the MacBook and the MacBook Pros, that you know you can no longer choose between a matte screen and a glossy, um, glossy Glass. screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think that for the most part, especially for professionals, that it, it's not really an issue, uh, as I understand it, and, and you know I could be wrong. That you you get much better color with these types of screens and more accurate color than than you know with the with other alternatives. Hmm. 
What do you think, uh, Lee? Is this a new monitor that you're going to want to run out and buy? Because we all know that you're the the guy that goes to the Apple store and usually doesn't walk away well, empty-handed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they I'm see him w- coming and go, oh, oh it's look Lee. at that. Yeah, I'm going to wait. My sales quota for the month. I, I got to wait till my uh, Apple stock gets back yeah, well, <laughs> before I go shopping yeah, again. But uh, but yeah, let me tell you, if uh, if Apple stock was still trading above 140, I think I'd be uh, sitting here talking about how nice the 24-inch monitor looks on my desk. I don't think you have long to wait for that. I think that's going to bounce back <laughs> pretty quick. The tech stocks hasn't taken uh, the huge hit that the rest of the, the stock market seems to have taken, but let's not get into that too much. If you guys like these new machines, these new uh, Macs, MacBook, uh, MacBook Pro, and you buy one, don't get the memory from Apple. In other words, don't, no, don't up, no, 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 no. it's going to cost way more money than you want to spend. You want to have at least, well, these support up to four gigabytes of RAM. Four gigabytes of RAM on these laptops are going to be important, uh, especially with all the new software that you're going to start running on them, like CS4. Um, our sponsor of the World Computing, MacSales.com, already came out with 4 gigabyte DDR3 memory upgrade kits for the new MacBook 13-inch and MacBook Pro 15-inch models, 139 bucks, And yep. that comes with two 2 gigabyte memory modules because you have to upgrade these in, in pairs again, just like the old days. And that's maxing it out. Yep. Uh, but if you do have an older one, guess what? Even cheaper. They got you covered. 69.99, 4 gigs of RAM. So that's amazing. That, it it really is. Now the new price, you know, for the new models are twice as much, but well, that price new. will come down eventually. But even yeah. at 140 bucks, that's a lot cheaper than if you get a brand new MacBook or MacBook Pro with four gigs of RAM from Apple. It's going to cost you a lot more than that. Arm and leg. Yeah, never buy RAM from Apple <laughs> unless you you know have a whole bunch of Apple well, stock like Lee and you're a rich guy. Otherwise, to get, well, get it for that matter, for that matter, don't get the uh, the larger hard drives as oh, well. Oh, absolutely you can get, not. You can, because now with with how how easy it is to replace the, or easier to replace the hard drives in the MacBook Pros. Of course, you could already do it for the MacBooks, but Otherworld Computing MacSales.com also has the largest hard drives available for these machines. I mean, I'm looking at it right here. It's a Samsung 500 gigabytes, 5400 RPM drive with a five-year warranty, $180 yeah. for a 500 gig drive. Yeah, that's that's what 120, 140 gigs more than Apple offers as a bill to order, and at half the price. Yeah. Yeah, and they also, and for a little bit more money, they also include a uh, do-it-yourself enclosure kit so that you can, you know, switch the the information from your old drive to your new drive with absolutely no problem for about two hundred and five bucks. Uh, before we wrap up the show, let's look at what's going on up at mymac.com, my Mac magazine publishing since nineteen ninety five. I like to throw that in every now and then. Um, John Nemo did a really interesting arg- uh, interview with Martin Evening. He's the author of the Adobe. Photoshop, Photoshop Lightroom 2 book. That's a mouthful there. And then the last two right underneath this podcast is two articles for me. One's thoughts on the new Apple MacBooks and MacBook Pros. And the one that uh, I, I kind of had a lot of fun researching and writing was looking ahead at uh, to Macworld 09. And what I do in that article is I go back through just this decade and look right. at what the major products were released at the Macworlds and trying to predict what's going to come up at this Macworld. And the reason I did that is because it, the iMacs have just been updated. Let me go jump down to the bottom. I'll just read what I wrote here. Um, 
Every Macworld Expo this decade has had a hardware product announcement, every one. Uh, I think this alone proves that Apple will release a new hardware product in January, so what could it be? Laptops are out, we just got those. iMacs? Nah, Apple just released new ones just not too long ago. In fact, in the look, like Guy was saying, looks like the, the new MacBook Pros. I mean, that's kind of where they got the look for the MacBook Pro. Right. So the Mac Pro? I don't think so. Because, you know, usually Apple releases those at the WWDC. And, and right. the Mac Pro really isn't really a, a sexy machine that... And it's it's not a high-volume machine either. No, it's not. iPods? No. Apple just released new iPods, right? Yep. Can't be an iPhone. There's not a chance in hell that the Apple's going to release a new iPhone. <laughs> well, they, I don't think they'll release a new iPhone. Uh, I'm still hoping, you know, please, God, please, I, I'd like that 32 I, I, I think that would be an, an upgrade, but I don't think it's necessarily called a new iPhone. Uh, no. They're not going to release a new monitor. They just did that. Uh, they're not going to release a new Apple TV because that was part of the big announcement last year. I keep saying last year, but technically it was this year, but, you know, at, at this year's Macworld Expo. I, I wouldn't count out the Apple TV, but go ahead. Uh, the other one would be the Mac Mini. I mean, that could be it. The Mac Mini physically looks exactly like it did when it was first introduced in 2005. Right. Uh, of course, you know, back then it was G4, and now it's the Intel Core Duo. But it physically looks like the older Mac Mini. It hasn't really been uh, uh, refreshed in a long time. Some people, like Bill Palmer and I, were arguing about this last night. He still says the Mac Mini was... Apple really doesn't want anybody to buy a Mac Mini. It's more or less there to upsell you to a different computer. I say that Apple won't sell anything if it's not profitable for them to do so. And all you have to do is look at their bottom line to to see that. So do you think that the Mac Mini is on target to be talked about at the Macworld Expo? I don't think it's going to be the featured thing because it's just not sexy enough. Unless they reposition what the Mac Mini is and what it does. Let's start with Lee. I think the Mac Mini has a has a nice uh, spot uh, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's one of the you know a lot of people don't see this, but in small businesses and some large corporations, they they roll out the Mac Mini everywhere because they have an investment in keyboards and monitors and just pop it in and and Good you know have all new computer. Yep. But uh, I think there's there's still some life in there. Uh, I think they still sell a few hundred thousand units uh, every quarter. But uh, I, I think people should start looking at uh, the resurgence of the what I would call Apple TV, but real uh, real Apple TV. So oh, so you're so you're saying an actual television? I'm thinking Apple's getting the TV business. You think so? Yeah, I think you're right. And my basis for saying that is all the stuff that they just showed us this week on how they manufacture this all-in-one aluminum body. Uh-huh. Imagine making that a little bigger, say, I don't know, 42 inches up to 50, uh, a little yep. bit thicker so they can, maybe not even that much thicker, because what if they put not only just uh, an Apple TV in it, but an actual Mac? And multi-touch. Multi-touch. Well, I don't know. Multi-touch on a, maybe if it's a multi-touch remote with a glass screen, yeah. something like, I don't know, an iPhone. <laughs> say an application that runs on an existing iPhone, there's your remote control for it. It would be nice. Or an iPod Touch. Or maybe if yep. you buy one of these, you get an iPod Touch. And that's not only your remote control for this device, but you can also take it with you and listen to your music and your television shows and your movies and all that. NFW. <laughs> I don't know. What do, you, what, what, what do you think, Guy? Do you think that's something that Apple could do well in? 
I don't think Apple's gonna is gonna play around with TVs at all. I think that if they were gonna do something like this, uh, they would partner up with Samsung or Sony or, right. or somebody else that already has an existing product line, and they would include something along the lines of Apple TV or possibly the motherboard from a uh, uh, Mac Mini with front row and throw in maybe some DVR action. I, but I don't think I don't think Apple. I mean, it's it's it was hard enough for them to get into the cell phone business, which is you know it, it can it's pretty fragmented. But but the TV business is even more so, and it's even more cutthroat. Yeah, and Apple did and, such a shitty job at you know, the iPhone. No, no, no. It's it's not. It's not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about that. I'm what I'm saying is that at cell phones are subsidized very very heavily by the carriers because they have a monthly income. But with TVs, you got one shot to sell it. Typically, people are going to pay that price. They're going to look for the lowest possible price. And, I mean, let, let's face it, Apple is a premium brand. They've always charged more for 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 sometimes but here, sometimes here's not the thing, guy. the same thing that you'll get from somebody. What you just said, everybody said about Apple getting into the cell phone business before they actually did it. Everyone said, you know but what, the, people try to get the cell phones for free, they sign these contracts so they get a real cheap cell phone, and they're happy right. with it. If Apple gets into the cell phone business, it's going to be a premium cell phone. No one's going to want to spend that much money for a, a, a flip phone or a cell phone. And, you know, it'd be a really bad business decision on Apple's part to get into such a fragmented market that's based on the lowest common denominator. Apple changed the cell phone business simply because they got into it with a product that was so much better and light years ahead of it, the competition, that they changed the cell phone market simply by getting into it and having such a successful product. I would, yeah, But how did they do it? They did it by getting AT&T to help them subsidize it. And Apple would probably have to do something very, very similar if they were going to get into the TV business. It's, it's, you know, if Apple had just said, okay, here's the iPhone, put it on whatever carrier you want, and you know, we're not going to discount it, and blah, 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 blah. They like, let, let's. How many cell phones has Apple sold since they dropped the price from three ninety nine to one ninety nine? I mean, the sales just exploded because yep. there was something about dropping the price that much that made the people that may or may not want to have may or may not wanted to go to AT&T go ahead and bite the bullet and say all right well it's going to be worth it for me to go to AT&T because now this the iPhone is so much more cheaper and it, but but there's no continuing revenue stream with television sets like there is with ah but there is there is when they sell content for that device but yeah, but they're not making money on content. Oh, sure Apple they are. Apple Apple actually came out and no, said, no, "Come on, Tim, they're not making that much money on iTunes content. Their iTunes is there to sell you iPhones. It's there to sell you iPods. It's there to sell you hardware." Apple came right out and that's said, where if, "Apple makes their money." Apple came right out and said, "If if the prices in if the if the it wasn't the record company, it was the uh, who was it? EMI." No, 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 no. Somebody came out just recently and said they wanted uh, the the fees to go up. I forget who it was now. Anyways, oh, that was that was that was like almost all of them. No, no, no. This is this wasn't the the music new musicians themselves. It was I want to say copyright holders, but that's not right. Uh, but anyways, Apple no, I, basically I came out and said uh, if you do that, 
we can't sell music at 99 cents because we won't make a profit and would rather close the store than not make a profit. So obviously Apple is making a profit. It's the number one right. music store in the United States how at much, this point. How much, how much was that, how much was that increase they were talking about? 14 cents well, a song. 14 yeah. cents a song. Apple yeah, you're right. Is, it's the copyright royalty board. Yes, that's who it was. Right. Apple is selling most of their music at 99 cents a song. Yep. Okay. Now from that 99 cents, about 70% of it or 70 cents is going to the copyright holders. Mm-hmm. The other, the other thirty cents is going to Apple. Less than that, probably more yeah. like ten cents. No, no, it's more. It's it's no, more. No, you got you, a- got you got Apple. Apple is making about thirty cents a song. From that thirty cents, all right. Now they're saying, okay, if you increase the royalties that we have to pay out of our share, we're not making any money. Right. Exactly my so point. That, In other words, they are well, making money. And when you look course, at how many make, songs are selling, but they're not those 30 cents... that much money. Yeah, they are making that they're much really, money. No, they're not. If they're, you look at I mean, the number of songs they sell on a daily basis, and you say right. they even... Even if they only got 10% of that guy, that's mm-hmm. huge. That's a huge windfall for them. Now, of course, they have to pay for credit card processing and all that and bandwidth costs yeah. and servers and, and, and let's remember, and, credit card processing is not cheap. No, it's not. And but, probably 90% of the types of sales they're doing is for $0.99 cents or $1.98 or, you know, and... Minuscule. Minuscule. And when you've got, when you've got to do single charges like that... Well, Apple doesn't do single charges. They, they've got deals with credit card companies. But nevertheless, Apple makes a lot of money through that content on iTunes. Don't don't kid yourself. Apple doesn't do anything if they're not making a profit, and they're making a profit. Well, okay, well, but how, do, how do they tie? How do they tie iTunes to this TV set? How do they force you to buy content from iTunes in order they to don't. make up? They don't. And nor nor do they force you to buy content from iTunes to put on your iPod or your Right. And why is that? Because they make the money up front pretty much on the hardware. What's the average cost of a television right now for the for the new 42-inch which everybody wants starting around 12.99 and it goes up to about $3500 for the top yep. of the line Sony models. You don't think right. Apple could come in there somewhere and make a good profit? How much well, how much how much is a a 24-inch iMac different than a 42-inch television? Well, it's it's not a question of whether they could make money. It, it's a question of whether they could make enough money to make it worth their while. I, I see where guys going. It, it, you know, Apple their 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 margin that they make on Apple products is about twenty seven percent. Yeah. Um, on iTunes Store, they sold two hundred eighty million dollars worth of TV shows. Yep. Uh, they're going to sell two point four billion songs this year. <clears throat> this is like grocery store uh, margins, but still, like Tim's saying. Uh, 10% of $2.4 billion is a good number. And also, what Apple wants to do is they want to be the center of your digital lifestyle. They've already said that. Yeah. They've been saying that for almost the entire decade now. And right. where is the center of most people's television viewing, movie viewing? That's in the living room. Apple's not in the living right. room. The the but Apple it's TV... Not, it's, not the t- it's not the TV Absolutely percent. it is. It's it's you've said this box, yourself. It's the no you've said this bo- yourself. It's the box that connects to the TV. It's the box that connects from the outside. And Apple has into, that. But you no, but well, you've said yourself of. that you don't want an, yet another box in the living room. What you want right. is your television. Everything else no, no, no. is that's not, that's not what I said. What I said was I didn't want another box along with 
a DVD player, along with a cable box, along with all these other peripherals that's connected up to the TV. I wanted one box that did it all. Right, and that box could be the television itself. The Apple TV to connect up to all these other devices. The Apple TV connects up to the television set, and then with one remote and one program, front row, whatever the hell they want to call it, you're switching between your game systems, you're switching between cable television, you're switching between whatever optical drives you have connected up through this, and it's all, you know, you're connected up to the Internet, you're connected up to iTunes. You're not seeing what this, iTunes, I, I you're think, connected up to everything that's outside of your house and everything right. that's connected. But I don't think that you're seeing what an Apple TV could be, Guy. I don't think you understand where Apple could no, position something. No, I understand something it. This is I putting a hard drive it. and a processor in your television, and it turns it into something totally different. It, it allows you to get rid of a lot of these peripherals that you won't need. Processors are upgraded all the time. Hard drives get bigger all the time. Exactly, and, and they're at the cost size. too much money to expect people to upgrade Every two, three, four years. Well, this years, would be something that you would this would, ha- this would be something that would give you a, an actual, real internet experience in your living room, unlike a and, media PC. And okay, you have an iMac. Something goes wrong with your iMac, you take it into the Apple Store, you've got a genius that fix it. Something goes wrong with a 42-inch uh, plasma screen or LCD display, what are you going to do? You're going to take that into an Apple Store? Sure, they don't weigh much. And, and they're a lot more secure if it's a unibody construction. That's no, I don't. I don't see what happens Apple if your TV goes bad now, guy. I take it back to Best Buy or, or exactly. wherever. But that's that's typically a much larger store. They've well, got, you're assuming that Apple's going to be the only company that sells these. If Apple comes out with a TV, you're going to see these everywhere. You're going to see them at Best Buy. You're going to see them at all the big box retailers. Walmart will probably carry them. Target will probably carry them because they could put them in the television section, not the computer section. Okay. Well, we can go round and round on this all night, but I, I, I think until, I think Lee until I see a product announcement from Apple showing a 42 inch television set with yep, all the stuff you're yep. talking about, I ain't gonna believe it. Uh, I do believe it. I think Apple definitely wants to get into the living room much more than they already are. I think the Apple TV, the current Apple TV, is more of a stopgap measure. I think it yep. was Apple's way of testing the waters to see if this is something that people are interested in. For those who don't have one. It's not that big of a deal. For those like Lee and I who do have one, we understand the power of having that Apple TV, the convenience of having that Apple TV in your living room with all your digital content right there at your fingertips and with a very simple remote control. The the main reason, uh, I don't know how Apple's going to do it and how they're going to build a TV, but I think I see something that's happening. The tipping point for digital content. Steve Jobs said, uh, what did he say about Blu-ray? It was a big bag of hurt. Yep. Right, and, he said Blu-ray just wasn't going anywhere. Well, he and, didn't say that. He you, said that the, the, the licensing that was, was a big bag of hurt. Yeah, and, and you, by the and you time, look at the, and the nutty uh, DRM that comes yep. with uh, Sony's uh, uh, Blu-ray is just nutty. Yep, it's crazy. Your screen has to be able to block content, which is right. insane. And the, and the cable that connects the Blu-ray to your uh, TV has to be able to accept copy control. Yep, and that adds cost. Yeah. So, yes, so, so what if you can get your high-def content... Right on the television. I don't know. You through. can do that with an Apple TV. Exactly. You can do that with with whatever comes after the Apple TV. Which will be, I think, a television. I think it's it only yeah. makes sense. Apple makes great monitors. Um, and here's something else that I just occurred to me, Lee. Yeah. What if they put an iSight camera in it? 
Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, you can start having conversations in your living room with anybody else who happens to own an Apple TV, video conferencing right there. What would that do for business? I, I bet you Apple's the product name is Mac TV. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. <laughs> I think they uh, uh, kind of did that one already, didn't they? Yeah, it was yeah, black. I, I it looked like, those, as yeah. I recall, it looked like a Performa 575, but it was black. Yeah, and I think Lisa, yeah. that was his favorite Mac of all time, if I'm not mistaken. It is, it is my favorite quirky little Mac, but I have to get my 575 logic board into it because something happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, ha- I had a 575, and I'd love that machine. You know, it was I, like the grandfather to the iMac. I think if, yeah. I think if Apple... Put an eyesight in this thing, um, and, and even a scaled down version of the Mac OS, which would allow you to browse yep. the internet and receive email and do uh, both voc- vocal and video chatting online using iChat uh, with the simplified interface. I think that yep. would be super, super uh, popular. I think it would revolutionize what's going on in the living room. Because let's be honest, yep. no one, and I mean no one, has revolutionized anything in the living room. In 25 years. It, it's ready for a revolution. It absolutely isn't. Who better position than a company like Apple with, a, you know, I don't know what, $50 billion sitting in the bank right now? <laughs> I yeah, think they're I think like at about 18 Mi- Microsoft's I mean, not going to be the company to do it. They're not innovative enough. Yeah. And and they typically don't do hardware well. Apple's not, or yeah. Sony's not going to do it. They've, they've been trying, but they're content with what they're doing. And yeah. Sony usually makes all their money nowadays on television, GS, and video game systems. Well, at least the licensing from games for their video game systems. So we have the digital television trans, uh, digital tele, television uh, uh, thing that's happening on February seventeenth next year. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I think iTunes has hit a watershed when it comes to downloading movies. I would never think two hundred million television shows were purchased on iTunes. It's crazy. Let's, it's it's just nuts. Let's talk about this here uh, again in a week or two because I, I want to think about it some more. And we're going to wrap up this show before we get too long in the tooth. We'll be back next <laughs> week. Uh, we're supposed to have Freeverse software on, so hopefully that'll go through. I got to send them a reminder because they said they were going to be on next week. But you know how schedules get conflicted sometimes. Sure. In the meantime, go up and check out mymac.com. Read that uh, "Looking Ahead to MacWorld 09" article. Uh, look back on well, what eight years now worth of product announcements at MacWorld Expo. It's kind of interesting to see what came out when and uh, the pictures of the products themselves. And uh, contribute, you know, go ahead and put your, in the article discussion, put your projections or predictions or what do you think is going to come out in just, what, uh, two and a half months. It's, it's not long yeah. at all. Uh, we'll see everyone a week from today. Have a good one. Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.